Hello everyone and welcome to the latest Dairy Pod. I'm Rory McDonald from the Dairy Australia Farm Team and in this episode we are excited to have Neil Chesterton, a New Zealand-based international expert on dealing with lameness in dairy herds. Lame cows are not only an important animal welfare issue but are also a big cost to farmers in terms of lost production and vet bills. In this podcast, Neil goes through his approach to dealing with herd lameness problems. In particular, he focuses on dealing with the root cause of the issue on farm and provides some really valuable advice on cow flow and stockmanship, as well as some practical tactics to deal with the wet weather conditions that many farmers are currently experiencing. With Murray Dairy Extension Officer Ross Reid asking the questions, this is 25 minutes of listening that could be really beneficial for you and your staff in terms of how to limit and prevent lameness problems occurring. So Neil, for those that haven't heard you speak before, can you give us a quick overview of your background and how lameness has become such a passion of yours? Right, I'm a veterinarian in New Zealand. And as a young veterinarian, I came here and found out lameness was stuff I knew nothing about. <laughs> so I've, my life became trying to, among all my other calls and normal routine, trying to find out what's causing this rotten problem. It was such a huge problem in New Zealand and still is. So that's how I've come to all these discoveries over the years. So Neil, um, the last time you were in Australia, you were delivering uh, workshops uh, for ourselves and a couple of other RDPs across the southern eastern seaboard. And I remember the title you had was uh, Lameness, a Risky Business. So can you elaborate a little bit what you mean by risky business? I'm glad you picked that one up. I used to call it the causes of lameness, but it's not the causes. Many of the things we say are a cause of lameness has got nothing to do with what we're looking at. On one farm, that so-called cause was a little bit risky. On another farm, it had total other risks. So I changed the word, got rid of the word, what causes lameness to what are the risk factors? And every lameness condition your cows might have, have never got one cause or one risk. It's multiple risks adding up to be behind the problem. So I like the word, what's the risks? And so today I hope we will look at these many risks and it makes it easier to get onto the solution. So I think looking at the risks then, so if we're, we're starting the story, um, where would you start um, as a farmer looking at how to start managing and preventing some of those risks? It would depend on the type of time of the year, I mean. If you had called me today in good weather when we could do lots of track maintenance and all those risk areas, I would talk about those things. But I think we're coming into quite a wet period. We can't do a lot of the, fix a lot of the so-called risks. And so what I'd like to do today, Ross, is to talk to your farmers about the, the risks that they can do something about at this winter time of the year. And so I'd like to talk about the, the entrance area, that, that last bit of track, that, that difficult bit as the cows collect, bunch up before the cow shed. I want to talk a fair bit about that area. Although it's difficult, we need to do something there. Then I'd like to talk about the risk factors when we go into the yard, what happens to the cows when they're into the yard and flow through the milking parlour. And then the third area, looking at, and that, that involves a lot of people stuff because when they come into the yard and there it's people and then maybe a third area we could look at the importance of knowing what your lameness is recording it and foot bars and other preventative things 
that we can do. So like three areas. So looking at that, so, so that entrance area, and, and so what are some of the key things that you're looking at that you're trying to see that farmers can do better? Okay. As cows approach the entry area at this time of year, I would love to say, put a brand new surface on your tracks, you know, you can't. So what can we do to decrease the risk of damage at that pressure area coming, approaching the yard and entering the, the entry area? All we can do, and it's important to do all the year, but even more so at this time of the year, is to keep back from the cows. Allow them to flow at their own, at, at voluntarily, basically. And that means, I used to say five meters behind the last cow until two years ago where I was handling some cows for a farmer and I realized at five meters, the cows were watching me all the time, the back cows. So I did some little experiments and found out when you come about 10 meters, which is about two fence posts in our situation, behind the last cow, suddenly the back ones relax and walk normally. Even five meters was too close. So the first thing in that entry area is to take the pressure off all along the track. It should have been actually all along the track. They should come voluntarily, but particularly the entry area. We not impatient. That's a risk factor being impatient. So we don't want to be impatient, but keep back and allow the cows, unless you've got a perfect track and carpet, they can do, you can do what you like, but we haven't. And in the mud, it's, hidden under all the dung, all the rocks, keep back and allow them to flow voluntarily. That's number one. The second problem I find about, or risk factor at the entry area is poor drainage. I'm talking about New Zealand, but I've also seen your farms over there and many have the same problems we have where the drainage is just, it's just mud. And often it's just simply in that getting close to the entry area, there's the grass buildup on the sides of the track. The track might have lost its shape, so it's not draining very well anyway, but even the water that's trying to escape can't get off. And so in that entry area, it's a particular area, I say to farmers, we've got to get rid of the anything that's stopping the water getting off the track into the paddock next on the left and the right. And so I always look at the buildup of grass, cut drains through it or get rid of it so that in between the rain showers, the water can at least most of it get away. That's a, a key thing. The other problem about the entry area is they're coming from this gravelly bit, because that's why it always drops to bits where there's pressure on cows, off the gravel onto concrete. And so the common other risk factor is carrying gravel onto the concrete or stones onto They can't see what they're standing on. That's why we reduce the pressure and let them find their way through that. But the better way is to try and prevent gravel and stones from that entry part and when I take the entry area, I'm probably talking the last 50 meters before the shed you know before the milking parlor but that the last bit the transition from the gravel onto the concrete we're always looking for what material can we use now I know what material I'd recommend if it was dry weather and you could do up that whole track we'd get the the slopes right so that the water does go to the left and the right rather than gather in the middle because often is it's not just one track going into the yard. There's one from the right, one from the left, and the one we're on in the middle, all joining in a big area, a collecting area before they go onto the concrete. So what do we do there to try and prevent that risk of taking gravel on concrete? Some people have got foot baths there, which I have all my farmers got get rid of 30 years ago. 
because they become a place where all the stones go into that footpath that we think will clean their feet. And it does clean their feet, but it makes sure the poor little heifers at the back walked on every rock that the front ones have dropped. We got rid of foot bars on the entrance. Some people have grating and it's sort of okay in the entrance. Um, but in actual fact, young animals don't like the grating on that area. So it's not an answer. <laughs> We've got rid of the grating on the entrance because we want the cow flow good and not to be afraid. A few farmers that are looking at um, maybe wood chips or putting something or sawdust at the front of the extras, uh, entrance, do you see that as probably a, a good alternative? Or That's exactly what I'm getting at. Those others are not answers. I agree with you. We need something on the surface. And in an emergency like now, if, you if your farmers are having problems in that area, we look at what can we use there. And most of the things we try to use just fall to bits, you know, our sawdust and I think your rice holes and stuff is available and different things like that. Alibi farmers have tried all sorts of things. It is difficult to get the right stuff to work. But I saw an answer in the South Island of New Zealand a number of years ago in exactly what we're going through now. Wet weather at this time of year. They did a simple thing. They used sawdust or wood, wood, chip, wood chip stuff, but they got or um, telegraph poles, uh, uh, concrete telegraph poles that the council had cut out and they used it like a, a big, you know, how long are those things? 15 meters long or whatever. They made yeah. a huge big square where the three tracks were coming into the yard and then they had a depth of sawdust that didn't just get pushed aside by, you know, by the cows. So if you can enclose a little bit, it's an amazing emergency entrance. The other ones, you could put a great big pile of the stuff there and it'll last for a week or two weeks that you have to keep topping it up and many things become the actual source of spreading infection and <laughs> bugs. Um, I remember you always saying too, so talking about putting pressure on cows and keeping that pressure off. So motorbikes are always one of, of putting pressure on cows, but your thoughts around um, dogs, because I know a lot of farmers like to have dogs bringing up cows. So what are your yep. thoughts? Good, a really good question there. Um, I used to say no dogs and no motorbikes. And then I found out that I get more impatient walking than sitting on a motorbike. <laughs> you know? So, and then with dogs, I had a farmer, I told him, I bet it's your dog. And I said, can I have permission to spy on you without your permission, you know, without telling you? Anytime you like. His dog was more patient than he was. <laughs> the trouble is with the dog, this perfect dog, if a farmer gets used to using dogs, this perfect dog only lives for eight or nine years or 10 years if it's a good one. The next one is the one that's not perfect. So dogs are okay, but so I love, the perfect dog is better than a person. It's all yeah. dependent on what the dog does, what the motorbike does, or what your son does or your father does. So potentially there, Neil, so the uh, employee may be just on the motorbike checking Facebook for a little time while he's bringing the, or she's bringing the cows up may not be a bad thing at that point in the time. It's a good thing. Smoking should be illegal, but I had one farmer that did it perfectly. He drove up to the back of his cows, stopped his four-wheeler, smoked the roll your own, and then when it finished that, then he moved up again. He was the most patient farmer I saw, so exactly. Some of the things that you're looking at risk factors around yards and when we're on the, on the dairy yard and in the milking area, um, what are some of your key risk areas that you think um, farmers need to watch out for? 
Okay, having got the cows into the yard, if a farmer has, the first one I always look at is the backing gate. No, probably before that, I look at the, the, the area of the yard. So some of your big Holsteins there need two square meters per cow, and the most beautiful cow that God ever made, the Jersey, only needs 1.3. But I want to know that you've got enough area as number one. The second thing in that yard area, I like to look at the surface. If it's a slippery surface, it's more dangerous than a rough one that I would think would wear the feet. The slippery one is the one that makes cows more afraid and not use their feet properly, you know. So that's a risk factor. Third one is the backing gate. So how does our farmer, how would we use a backing gate? First rule, if I'm there spying on my farmers, well, I love spying with their permission, of course, but um, I measure how long till they first use that backing gate. My recommendation is don't touch the backing gate for at least 20 minutes. Some farmers say, oh, but my cows won't come in. I say, then you've got problems. There's something else going on. For 20 minutes, if the cows don't come in voluntarily and start to organize their own they move places. In that 20 minutes, they're all changing places, getting into a milking order. If we milk, use that gate too quickly, and even if you've got a top gate, I don't know if you have top gates there, but we have these horrible things yeah, called top gates. Yeah. I say don't even touch that one for 20 minutes to let the cows get into order. Then I look at the speed of that backing gate or top gate because many, the risk of them is they're too fast. They cause fear. So in a round yard, we say it mustn't be faster than 12 meters in one minute. In a rectangular yard, half that speed because it scoops up many more cows. Six meters per minute maximum speed. The same with the top gates, most of them are too fast. But So that's the, the first area at risk. So, see why I say there's lots of risks? It's not impatient people. It could be backing gate. You have a patient person operating it, but the gate looks impatient to the cows. That's the first area in the yard that I talk of. So, so, so once you've looked at the yard, so what about the entry area and exit area of, of the platforms to a dairy? Do you look at those as, and potentially some risk areas in those areas? Yeah, yeah, that, that entry and exit. The entry is more important than the exit because the exit usually is voluntary. You know, the cows are going by themselves. But the entry into the milking parlour, of course, with a, with, we've got a rotary or a, or a herringbone, with the herringbone sheds, more and more, I'm convinced that we use what Dairy NZ is in, encouraging, and I think Dairy Australia too, that in a herringbone, the people milking work at the other end of the, of the putting the cups on from the front. And our farmers more and more are using the hopscotch. So they, they just do five cows, five cows, five working together, keeping away from the entry. And so we never know, I see it, but the farmers don't recognize it. Sometimes the cows are scared of one of the people milking. If he's near the entrance trying to get them to flow in, he actually holds them up. Or the cow that should be coming in is afraid of him, so she goes back. So I say, keep away from the entry on, on our talk matter herringbone, work from the front. Believe me, it, it's amazing how the cow flow improves over two weeks. We see an amazing improvement in cow flow, even though it's impatient, it's difficult at first, by keeping away from the entrance. And that's with our herringbone cow shed. With our rotary cow shed, I then I look at the design there. And I mean, when we've got our big rotaries, we're actually now 
encouraging entries have two or three cows at least in that long entry because the cows become the one pushing the cow in front on not our backing gate out there you know and so we look at that but it doesn't have to be it, it depending if you've got feed on there and not not feed on your platform because i I like the smaller road trees with a short entrance, it's okay. So therefore I look at, are the cows scared of the person putting cups on? Might be better just to move a little bit away. Little things like that. We look at what's making them afraid. On the entrance, I look at, we now putting rubber on the entrance, even more important than the exit. Yeah, they come off and do a 180 degree turn on the exit. On the entrance, they're going straight on. But when I see the wearing of the rubber, the entrance rubber wears quicker than the exit. So have a look at that in your, in, because often I've seen cows fighting to get on and almost slipping over because of pushing, say they're coming on and wanting to turn to the right to go onto the platform. They always get this uneven push and we're getting front foot lameness sometimes on the entry because they want to get in onto the feed there, you know? And so it's important to look at how they're flowing on to both type sheds probably blends well into even with um, status management sometimes you know better let down if, it, if you're allowing the cows to come on the platform and have a little bit longer time for let down before cups go on so you're getting a win-win both in your um, status and milk quality management as well as cow flow and lameness the, you're exactly right ross the things that reduce lameness make a happy cow who's better at letting her milk down i'm convinced of that I know you always always bring up the passion bit around uh, polypipe in the dairy. So your philosophy with polypipe. Yeah. Now, when I say polypipe, I don't know any of my farmers that hit cows with it. You know, they, they don't hurt the cows that I've ever seen. <clears throat> so I'm not talking about hurting the cows, but many of my farmers use polypipe just to tap the pipework to get in a herringbone, for example, to get them up into position. And what I discovered there is the cows are still afraid of it because it's the sound, that whack, whack, whack sound is not touching the cows, not hurting them, but it makes them afraid. And that's why they push up so hard. Now, more and more of my farmers are getting rid of that polypipe. There's another reason why we get rid of it because not always is the boss there or the head man, that a younger guy who might be impatient often does use it incorrectly when you're not there. So a general rule, the cow flow in the end will be just as good without it. Just gives us a feeling of, man, I'm getting action. Bang, bang, bang. And the same as when they open the gate to let them out, they bang, bang, bang. I said, why are you they're skidding as they go out? You know, maybe that's part of the white line. No, no, but if I don't, they don't go out fast enough. I say, open the gate earlier. Don't tap them. So we are, as a general rule, trying to get rid of anything like that. In fact, even whistling loudly, which works because a loud whistle can make a cow jump. We say, only talk to the cows. Come on, girls, out you go, out you go. You know, so poly pipes, whistling, shouting, we're trying to get rid of, we're trying to ban those risk factors. <laughs> and I know Neil myself is, so when I was milking, it'd be, um, I always had the radio going and wintertime is football season. So that probably never helped because I'd be starting yelling at the, uh, at the uh, radio because the footage <laughs> too well. So what I found is if you're milking by yourself, you can watch, listen to whatever rugby you want or whatever football, you know, particularly if it's the Warriors from New Zealand playing in this. And um, it doesn't affect the cows. I used to think they like this music better than that. What I found out, it's what it does to people. So if you've got two people milking, one of the common risk factors I'm seeing now is that the one person 
hates that radio station, but he's the boss or she's the boss and she wants it. So I've got to put up hour and a half, two hours of rotten concert music or rotten, in my case, heavy rock. What it does, it changes human behavior. Mm. And so I'm convinced that a radio, you've got to either agree on the radio station and have it not too loud. So you want to hear cup slip and all those things. But if it annoys one of the workers, it's one of the common things I'm finding, a risk factor for the person angry in their work. And that mm. affects the cows. So you're, you're allowed to listen to what you like if you've got your radio station by yourself. Well, that, that's a good thing to know. So, so finally, uh, Neil, so I find the, one of the important things is um, really being able to record, um, and we're not going to get into the actual individual um, types of lameness today, because that's a bit more of a hands-on um, workshop. But yeah, if you would like to just touch on the importance of the record keeping it and really what is that telling the farm manager or owner around some of the risk factors or... or, or um, Ross, thank you for that question. I hate the word lameness. The trouble with the word lameness is it's like saying we've got lots of sick cows in our herd. You know, what's the best prevention or what are the risk factors for sickness? You tell me which sickness, I'll tell you which risks. It's the same with lameness. We use this word lameness, mainly what I've talked about, the damage to the feet ends up with your white line or your sole puncture or your axial crack type things. Foot rot, lameness is a totally different thing. And when my farmers don't have records of what they've got, I find it so difficult to help them. But the guys who write down what type of injury they see, suddenly the whole picture is easy for me. So I had a farmer, He'd been to one of my seminars and started recording. And he rang me three years later and said, up till Christmas, 90% of my lameness is white line. And after Christmas, where he rang me, he rang me in March, said, since Christmas, 50% has been sole puncture wounds. I said, you beauty, I know the solution to your, or the risk factors that I'm going to look at already, just because you've got good records. If he just said, I've got lame cows, I could have been totally tricked because he had a good history of what injuries he was treating, it was a piece of cake. And I was convinced that we had the answer for him. In fact, it proved correct. And so I say exactly what you're saying. Please, farmers, my farmers, record what you're seeing. It doesn't have to be fancy, and, but just write down, is it a white line or a sole or an axial crack between the claws or foot rot or digital dermatitis? That's the only things I'm interested in because they're the major ones. And then I can solve their problem even on a phone often, but going there makes it even more. Um, so recording is number one. So is there a bit of a picture that you time to find if it's a white line or is it sole puncture? So what are some, so what, so what are the, what are those things kind of telling you, I suppose? Yeah. So on most, for more than 40, 40% of the lameness I see as a vet and I see the worst ones, 40% is white line. On many farms, 90% is white line. When I hear white line as the main thing, I look for pressure. White line is an uneven pressure on the feet. So if it's on the front feet, it's just about always the middle claw. If it's on the back feet, it's just about always the outside back claw because of the way cows push and shove. So I'd look for pressure type things. So if you've got more the bruising and puncture is more just stones and... And yep. forcing pushing of cows, you think? That, exactly. I'd most like, I'd look for the places that the poor girls can't choose to not put. So, yeah, the entrance area and the stones on the concrete, wearing of the feet so the soles are thin. 
long distance walking is the first question I ask a farm that's got lots of white line because it's easier with a thin sole, but also puncture wounds. If it's puncture wounds, they always have thin soles. How far are your cows walking? Do they do a long and a short walk or do they sometimes have a week of long walks? So those are the risk factors for the sole type, bruising, punctures. So you're talking about, um, you know, soft feet. And so I know a lot of farmers are looking at putting additives or trying to prepare for a winter by, by looking at some other alternatives. Have you got any opinions on, on that sort of space of foot bars and trying to um, harden up the, the feet? Yeah, I used to think that if we could harden those feet, we'd prevent everything. Yeah, so we looked at all the minerals. We looked at foot mats with copper sulfate on them to try and make the foot hard. None of those worked. There's lots of stuff overseas that it's important, but overseas where cows are on high energy diets, you know, we're on grass and a, and a bit of and stuff. In our system, it does not work in my experience. So when I talk about a soft foot, it's usually meaning a worn foot. I used to think it was soft tissue in the bottom of the foot, you know, the sole. Yep. Yep. But it's not. Look, I go to farms and the farmers say, oh man, I've got hard soles or soft soles. If they say they've got hard soles, it's because it's dry weather. <laughs> if it's soft soles, it's just about always where they're wet all the time. Of course they get soft. I think God made feet to get soft so it could move over the uneven surface, you know. So I wish it was something so simple that we could feed something to make them hard. Just about always, it's a worn surface. So it feels soft when I push with my finger or pinch it with pliers. But it's softness from thinness, not from poor quality. And so therefore, foot bars. What do you do, foot bars? I only recommend foot bars for treatment of foot rot or prevention of foot rot and prevention of the digital dermatitis, which I know some of your farmers have seen farms in Australia with so much digital dermatitis. They are an infection. So a copper sulfate foot bath or formalin, if you're allowed to use it, on the exit, never on the entrance, only the exit, and it has to be big enough. So I've got a website where you can get that. But foot bars are amazing if you've got infection as a preventative, but not hardening feet. And managing that uh, foot bath as well and not leaving it for days and days because it just becomes a cesspool at the same time. Yeah, so in my, I've got design now, uh, an easy design, a cheap design, because I, I hate plastic ones. They're usually too small a volume for the size of your herd, and the cows hate plastic ones. So they've been thrown out. We only build them on the concrete, simply out of 200 mil blocks with a drain in the corner, and we only put it in tonight and tomorrow morning, and then empty it out. Otherwise, it becomes the very place you spread the bug. No, well, thank you for that, Neil. I think um, we've covered most things in this time and uh, it was great to have a chat with you again. And, uh, and hopefully um, with COVID-19, we might eventually be able to get you back over here and we can do some practical demonstrations again. And that would be awesome. I'd love to come and meet your farmers again and see the, what they're doing. Okay. Right. Thanks for your time, Neil. Cheers. Thank you. Thanks to Ross and Neil for that great chat. I'm sure most footy fans would agree listening to your team playing each week while milking could indeed create a tense atmosphere in the shed. Dairy Australia's Healthy Hooves programme is a lameness prevention and management training programme which is run through your local RDPs. If you're interested in attending, contact your regional office and they'll book you in for the next workshop. There's also a series of lameness resources on the Dairy Australia website, including the Complete Guide to Preventing and Managing Lameness Handbook, which includes a lameness scoring guide. 
You'll also find a fact sheet on preventing lameness in wet conditions, which could be very handy in many parts of the country right now. That's it for now. You can find other Dairy Pod episodes, as always, on SoundCloud or subscribe at Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. Hope you enjoyed this podcast and bye for now.